Good evening and welcome to the Bev Smith Show. How are you? How are you? How are you? I hope you're doing well and that you are ready to join us in conversation. All you have to do to get involved in the conversation is dial the number 1-888-669-2281. And we know you will want to join us in conversation after you hear our guest tonight. We're going to talk to Attorney Dwight Pettit. Dwight is an attorney and an author. His book is called Under Color of Law, and he's been with us as the legal advisor in the cases that are in Baltimore. And as many of you know, have been following the story of Freddie Gray in Baltimore. They were in court last week, and we're going to catch up with Dwight and find out exactly what's going on. Over the weekend, in my neighborhood, something happened that has not happened. We heard a gunshot. It wasn't just a gunshot. It was like, pow, pow. First you thought, it's just a tire or something like that. Someone backfiring. But it was gunshots. And then we live in, I live right in the heart of the community. And we heard the gunshots. And we looked out the window and we saw a sea a sea of policemen. When we woke up, turned on the news, we found out that a young black man had been shot. He was just standing on the corner, 25 years old, gone, going, going, gone. This has got to stop. It's a baby. It's a woman. It's people walking up and down the street. Who are these enemies among us? So tonight I've asked Dana Green to join us. And Dana is a well-known author who has been able to work with young African-American males and has been able to get these young men to get involved with changing their lives. I want to talk to him. I want to find out what it is. What is it? It can't be slavery. Slavery is not new to us, even though we call ourselves free. We work for people who underpay us, call us names. You know that's true. So tonight I want to find out from Dana, Dr. D. Harold Green, what is going on with young African-American men. Now I want you to know right from the beginning that we are only talking about a segment of our population. The majority of young African-American men are going to work, taking care of their kids, living at home with their parents and helping them in the military, teaching school, getting married, doing what is right. But whenever you have a basket and anyone out there that can cook, and I started when I was nine, you know that if you have a little bit of rot on a potato and that potato stays in that package it will impact other potatoes it'll start stinking and smelling and they'll rot and you know what happens when you have a rotten apple or a peach if you get it close to other foods it will contaminate that is what is happening these people 
I don't want to call them black. They're not black anymore. I want to do what my Jewish friends do. I want to tear my shirt and kick them out of our community. Kick them out of the black community because they are not black. They're colored. C-U-L-L-U-D. Black is a condition of mind, soul, spirit, and body. It's a united universal history. And wherever black people are, whether it's England or on the continent of Africa, or New York or Atlanta or New Jersey or Seattle or wherever we can be heard, North Carolina, the nation's capital, wherever we can be heard, doesn't really matter, does it? We have a history, a common history, that started on the continent of Africa. It unites us. We have a, a, a common present. The present is the same as the past was. Our color. Our color still dictates in far too many places how we are treated. The reason I'm talking about England is because we're trying to get some people on the show that I talked to today who are talking about the English and how they're being treated. And, of course, they said to me, well, it's not everyone. It's like in Brazil. It's the darker ones that it happens to. Anyway, we'll talk about that, and we'll get you involved. There's a lot going on in our community, and we'll talk about that after Dana leaves us. It helps us understand. I just don't understand. And when I don't understand, I ask, will someone help me understand? Is it unemployment? We've been unemployed before. We weathered that storm. We carved out a community in a place that was hostile on a foreign land. I'd just like to know what's going on. So Harold Green will talk to us tonight about what is going on. How are you, Brooke? How you doing? How you doing? I'm all right. I'm cool. Good, 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 good. We've got a great week coming up. Yeah. Oh yeah, we're gonna have the uh, Randy Tamborabelli. Oh. He wrote the new book, and that is the book about Beyonce. I can't wait to talk to him about that hmm. and find out what he has to say. I've interviewed him about his book on Diana Ross, mm -hmm. Call Me Miss Ross, mm -hmm. the one that he did on Michael Jackson. I have all of them, and he signed them. Yeah, Randy did the book on Michael Jackson, the big, thick, I think it's a thousand pages or more, all about Michael Jackson and his life. Mm. Yeah. So it's going to be a good conversation all the way down. I think it's time for something we haven't been doing, and we've got to get back to doing it on a more regular basis, and that is Moments in Black History.
Over the weekend, I had a chance to dig deep into my CDs and pull out some of the jazz greats that I have. And I spent a little bit of time with Dizzy Gillespie. I went to my photo album and started going through the pages, and there he was. And I remembered how he let me rub his stomach for luck. So tonight, on Moments in Black History, we celebrate the life of a real funny man, good, 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 good friend of Dr. Bill Cosby. And they are a lot of fun together. They were Dizzy no longer with us. He was born on October 21st, 1917, in Chersaw, South Carolina. His name, John Burks Dizzy Gillespie, along with Charlie Parker, was one of the originators of Bach music. They combined to change the direction of jazz. Dizzy Gillespie studied music at the Laurenburg Institute in North Carolina. He went on to tour successfully with the Teddy Hill Band. Gillespie worked with Earl Father Hines, Charlie Parker, Ella Fitzgerald, Benny Carter, Charlie Bennett. All great, all gone. He toured throughout Europe, the Middle East, and Latin America. He had a tremendous influence on jazz in Cuba as he traveled throughout the world. In 1990, he was awarded the Lifetime Emmy Award and the Kennedy Center Lifetime Achievement Award. He was internationally known for not only his music, but also his bullfrog cheeks. That was his playing style and the 45-degree angle horn that he created himself. It was bent in a 1953 accident, and he never changed it. He created it into the sound that it was. He loved that horn. Other interesting facts include his belief in the Baha faith and his 1964 bid for the presidency of the United States to protest racism, yes. Dizzy Gillespie ran for the presidency in 1964, fed up with racism. The great Dizzy Gillespie died of pancreatic cancer in his Inglewood, New Jersey home. Get empowered. Inspiring, motivating, empowering. This is the Bev Smith Show. Get empowered.
Our guest tonight comes from a history of activism. Alvin Dwight Pettit was born on September 29, 1945, in North Carolina. His mother worked as a beautician. His father worked as an engineer. His family migrated to Baltimore after his father was offered an engineering job in Maryland. In 1958, his father initiated a lawsuit against Hartford County, Maryland school officials, forcing the school system to integrate the all-white Aberdeen High School. He was represented by Thurgood Marshall, and he won the lawsuit, and he was admitted, and he graduated in 1963. In addition to being the first African-American male to attend the school, he also integrated the football team. He knows a lot about integration, a lot about fighting it, and in his role as really kind of the eyes and the ears and the watchdog where law is concerned, he has seen a lot where African-Americans are concerned in Baltimore and the racism. And he always comes when we call so we can understand how it still continues and whether or not we have a chance to stop it in Baltimore. He's here to bring us up to date on what's been happening with the Freddie Gray trial, what's happening with politics in Baltimore, and bring us up to date on what he's done. Please join me as we welcome Attorney Dwight, the author of Under color of law. Welcome, Dwight. How are you? I'm fine, Bev. It's always great to hear from you. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Now, is the city of Baltimore doing well since we last talked? Well, we're getting ready for preparing for an, a mayority election. That's the mayor as well as the city council. And so uh, Baltimore is very involved in politics, uh, doing this very, very uh, dramatic time uh, during the uh, unrest that uh, has passed, and and now the trial of uh, Freddie Gray has been underway in terms of motions and rulings. And so we've had a few demonstrations as a result of that, uh, but everything has been confined and it's been uh, uh, very civil. Well, before we get to what's been going on and why the demonstrations, let's talk about the mayor's race, because what we saw and you and I have talked about this before, what we saw was the appearance of a governor who was throwing the black female mayor of the city of Baltimore under the bus. And as a result of some of the action or failure to take certain action, there's a rumor that the mayor may not do well in this election. Is it just a rumor? Well, let me enlighten you as to what has happened, Bev. The mayor came out about uh, three weeks ago and indicated she would not be a candidate for re-election. And so all of the uh, things that we thought uh, that she was doing with possible uh, political motives, she said that she wanted to be able to govern Baltimore City without the pressures of an election or of having appeal to certain political interests. And so she is not a candidate for mayor. So everybody and his brother and sister uh, are coming out of the woodwork as candidates. <laughs> Looks like the Republicans. So at this point, we got about 10 to 12 candidates for mayor. <laughs> and everyone who ever ran for mayor is running again for mayor. Exactly. I know. And we have a new police commissioner because, you know, when we talked last time, she had fired 
uh, Commissioner Botts, and she replaced him uh, with Commissioner, now Commissioner Davis. He was interim commissioner. And uh, so we've had a, a, quite a few uh, political transitions in Baltimore. When you talk about political transitions, let's talk about the police officer. What happened to the black police chief and this police officer? What is the relationship between he, his department, and the black community since Freddie Gray and others? Well, you know, you and I talked about this when Commissioner Batts was fired. I thought he was uh, sacrificed as a political scapegoat uh, because he had been accused of having the police stand down uh, rather than, in fact, uh, uh, bring harm to the demonstrators, which I thought was a good decision. And why the mayor would not go ahead and make that admission, uh, I thought was uh, in light of the possible repercussions of the fraternal order of police. But uh, she terminated him and hired him with his deputy, uh, who a man by the name of uh, Kevin Davis, uh, who came out of Prince George's County, which is a, a neighboring uh, county here, not neighboring, not contingent, um, and not, not uh, connecting to Baltimore City, but uh, um, sort of a liberal African-American county in, in Maryland. And also uh, he had been police uh, commissioner for a short time in a county called Anne Arundel County. And she brought him in. And then she claimed that she had to do that because of the, uh, not because of the political situation with uh, Commissioner Blatt, but because of the escalating crime rate in Baltimore City, which I'm sure you're aware of has been ridiculous and just uh, really crazy here in terms of almost a murder a day. And so when she nominated him for permanency in that position about two weeks ago, uh, the city council confirmed it last week, uh, she indicated because of the great progress he was making in uh, in changing in, uh, law enforcement in the city of Baltimore, yet I didn't understand that because the crime rate has not been reduced at all. It's still almost uh, escalating and uh, resulting almost a murder a day. But I think the main thing, he seemed to be very acceptable uh, to the fraternal order of police, which had given a negative vote to Commissioner Batts. And so that was, I think, the political tie-in, that they seemed to be very much uh, accepting of him and his new administration. And he seems to have established a pretty good uh, uh uh, discussion of pretty good relationship with community organizations because he has been, from what I'm reading, very accessible to community organizations and to the uh, political structure of Baltimore City in terms of, of reaching out and, and talking and discussing the problems and going into community neighborhood and community meetings. Uh, so we will see. They gave him a the term of Commissioner Bites contract, which was five years additional for a total of six years, gave him $200,000 and gave him a $150,000 golden parachute. If the new mayor that comes in, he or she doesn't like uh, the police commission, if they terminate him uh, without cause, then he gets $150 to land on, $150,000 to land on. Well, So we've had a lot happen. But what about, what, but what about the, what about chief, the commissioner? What, uh, what about the former chief? What did he get? Well, they gave him, he, he got a severance. Uh, I'm not sure exactly what his was, but I think it might have been uh, 75 or so, whatever it was, but he got a sizable uh, departure uh, uh, bonus. So for a city that's strapped in cash, we're paying out 
a lot of money to commissioners because I don't think we've had a commissioner bev that's lasted over a couple of years in the last six or seven commissioners uh, in Baltimore City. And probably part of our problem, probably in terms of the criminals, the crime situation, uh, is the instability uh, in the police department for various reasons. Um, well, not only that. Well, not only that. Let me stop you for a moment. Part of the problem, as you said, the instability of the police department. But also, I am curious about part of the problem. We note that all over the country, there are no jobs for young African Americans. And African Americans that are graduating from colleges with two and three degrees, PhDs, cannot find work. During the time that the demonstrations were going on, Every businessman, white, in Baltimore, city and all over the place, had something to say. I mean, come on, the governor never flown in for any other problem, and he flew in for this one. Did any of them recommend what could happen if they put some people to work? Did anyone suggest that there would be a different plan for decent housing? Because all of these issues are involved in what's going on with Freddie Gray and others, aren't they? It's no doubt about that, and and you you know you touched on the heart of it uh, in terms of the unemployment situation, the economic situation, uh, the saturation of guns, the saturation in terms of of uh, um, narcotics and what have you. Uh, but yes, the Baltimore is sort of uh, a capital in terms of example of the uh, the economic situation of the African-American community. And uh, until that's addressed, you're correct. I mean, they can have all the police commissioners in the world. They can change all the policies and procedures. Uh, but in some, some, until somebody attacks the, the unemployment situation and the lack of jobs and the lack of opportunity and housing and all the other ills and so forth. Uh, and, you know, we, 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 we have a presidential candidate. All now right, hold on. Hold on just a moment. Martin. We have to take a break. Okay. We have to take a break. When we come back, I really want to hear your sure. thoughts on that. And I just keep smiling when I think about all the folks running for the office of mayor in Baltimore. We'll be back. <laughs> Get empowered. Get empowered. Inspiring, motivating, empowering. This is the Bed Smith Show. This is the Bed Smith Show on the Empowerment Radio Network. Our guest is attorney Dwight Pettit, and we are getting caught up to date on what's going on in Baltimore. In 1970, Dwight began his career as a trial attorney for the Small Business Administration under President Richard Nixon. His duties included preparing briefs for the Department of Justice on fraud cases involving SBA loans. He litigated his first private case, Pettit versus the United States case received national acclaim and is considered a landmark decision setting the standard for back pay awards in discrimination cases. 
1973, he brought the first suit in the country against Maryland for discrimination in the bar examinations. The case would lead to other states changing its testimony and changing its practices. In 1973, he left the SBA and formed his own law firm. He has handled some of the most high-profile cases in the country, and he's here to talk about this case, which is really high-profile. We were we were talking about. Um, I was just thinking for just a moment. Why do you think the mayor, the step back, right? Why do you think the mayor well, took the action that she took, and why didn't she support the black police chief? Because his action kept down what really could have been another 1968. That is the $64,000 question. I think that that question will be answered as things develop uh, in terms of, of the future. Uh, but she was so adamant that she, even though she had received a lot of publicity and she was uh, running second or third in the polls, uh, she believed adamantly that as the incumbent that she would win. And so it, initially there was no hesitation or no fear being exhibited politically by what was happening with Freddie Gray. And then just all of a sudden, one morning, uh, boom, she had a call to press conference, an immediate press conference at 10 o'clock in the morning. I remember it was on a Friday morning and indicated that she would not be a candidate. So we're, we're all waiting in, in Baltimore for the other shoe to fall as to what happened and why. Um, but you're exactly correct. I never understood uh, the political. I understood that the FOP uh, was uh, giving her a hard time because of, of the riots and what they believed was a stand-down order. But I already thought that, always thought she made the correct decision, especially when the young kids were surrounded uh, uh, the the Madame shopping mall yes. in West Baltimore. Yes. That if she had d done the other, that we'd have had a loss of life. Uh, it could have been much more tragic uh, than a loss of property. And I always thought she should have stepped forward and supported the police commissioner for that uh, that decision. Somebody gave the order, but nobody ever acknowledged who gave it. And so even Bats, um, I mean, even Commissioner Davis uh, was part of the, all of that, and she should have, I think, have taken that and run instead of retreating and firing the commissioner. Uh, so none of it made any sense, and her stepping down, has still not been answered in terms of, in my opinion, making any sense. When you and say... Now, just to say one thing to you, Bev, it's getting so interesting in Baltimore City. Not only is everybody and his brother and sister are running for mayor, but now, uh, yesterday, the city councilman, where the, uh, uh, the events took place with Rodney Gray, uh, Councilman Mosby, who is the husband of uh, um, the state's attorney who's prosecuting prosecuting the six police officers, he declared for mayor yesterday. Oh, my God. <laughs> so this has really gotten wild. <laughs> Wait. Wait. I was going to ask you about her because they've been after her, too. And one of the uh, things that the, that the uh, Fraternal Order of Police said about Baltimore is that the, the attorney and her husband had other aspirations. And I guess mm -hmm. so. And I guess so. And I guess so. But the election is when? 
It's in April, around April 16th or 17th. uh, Everybody's got to declare, I think, by February. I will tell you. This was a shocker yesterday. This is all the front page news today uh, that he is, the husband is a candidate for mayor. Now, isn't that going to be a little bit difficult for her? Well, they've been all day. The question has been raised that I've been reading in the newspapers and watching on the evening news, news whether or not there it would be a conflict of interest uh, between if he were elected, between he as mayor and she as, as the state's uh, attorney, chief prosecutor, in terms of uh, the city that provides her budget and whether or not she could invec- investigate the city in terms of of uh, corruption and and uh, problems because right now we're having you spoke of housing a while ago very briefly we're having a housing crisis uh, in uh, Baltimore where people living in uh, low income or provided housing are claiming that uh, they had to uh, have uh, go along with sexual favors uh, to get the repairs and works done on their living facilities and that the places are rampant with roaches and rats etc so. You know, that is a, a, a separate investigation that this Madam State's Attorney has launched uh, herself. And so that just goes to the, you know, I think, the issue that was being raised today, if he were to be elected mayor, how could uh, she effectively function well, as the state's attorney in relationship to officers of the mayor that could come on the screen? Well, I'm not so sure that that's a good argument, because that's the argument they used with Kennedy. If you're the president, how can your brother do it? How can what can you do with your brother if he's the attorney general? And it worked. Mm-hmm. It worked, and it might work mm-hmm. for them. It's just that it's as if they played into the hands of the FOP because, if I remember correctly, that was one of the charges made by the FOP in the beginning. Not only the FOP, Bev, but that was one of the charges made by the defense lawyers. And I know we haven't got there yet, but that was one of the motions that was raised in the, the Gray case that why she should recuse herself mm-hmm. and why the case should be dismissed uh, because of the relationship between her husband, who was the city councilman for that district, uh, and her uh, being his wife. So you're right. I mean, that motion was denied. The recusal motion was denied, and the, the dismissal motions were denied. Uh, but that originated from the FOP, but that was one of the arguments picked up by the defense uh, attorneys for the six defendants. So that issue did come up as a matter of law. And how well, has it been decided upon yet, or was it yes, dismissed? Yes, uh, the judge denied those motions and denied the motion for her to be, recuse herself. She still uh, heads up the prosecutorial office for the Freddie Gray case. And, of course, as we we're going to talk about, I guess, later, uh, the motions to dismiss were denied in terms of, of any type of conflicts, and the motion uh, to remove the trial, the change of venue out of Baltimore City, uh, was denied. Well, I'm trying to get to Freddie Gray, but there's just so much going on in your city. (laughs) You're telling me. (laughs) I've been trying for the last two breaks to get to Freddie Gray. But every time you say something different, I say, whoa, this is like scandal. That's the way the shoes are dropping, (laughs) man. It's really like that in Baltimore right now. Really? And I can remember Baltimore. It's not hard to believe. It's not. But the real interesting thing is that Maryland is, is a real interesting state to begin with. And one of the things that the police 
white FOP primarily wanted was for the venue to be changed for Freddie Gray and moved. And everyone was praying, oh, please, not to Charlestown, uh, because that is the Klan's hideout. And they're not even hiding out in Charlestown. What was the decision there? Well, the decision was that the mechanism is known as voidir, uh, meaning the questions that would you would be able to ask the jurors before they would see that be seated that that would be uh, could be the resolution or would be the resolution to the pro to the problem. And I've always argued that voidir uh, could cure any problems because that's where after all the questions are asked and the question the primary question becomes can you render a decision based on the facts that you've heard in the courtroom without any prejudice or foregone conclusions. And once a, a person answers that in the, in the affirmative, then that makes them eligible uh, for jury service, regardless of how much media, because I've always argued the media was worldwide. So how can you say uh, you can cure the media problem by moving out of Baltimore City? That didn't make any sense to me. So what Judge Barry Williams, who's an excellent judge that has been assigned this case, what he ruled is that he would take it on a case-by-case -case basis. He believed that Voidir could, could solve the problems. And uh, we would try to, in fact, pick a jury using uh, the method of void deer, meaning the strikes and so forth that uh, uh, the defendants and the, and the state have, and we would see how it goes. If it's a problem, then um, uh, he would react at that time. Now, since then, uh, the defense filed motions uh, for what they call sequestration. Uh, meaning to, they want to sequester the jurors. That means lock the jurors up at night in a hotel uh, for uh, the length of the trial, no radio, no television, no media, escort him to court and uh, release him. He hasn't ruled on that motion yet. Uh, whether he's going to rule on it in part or in whole uh, still remains to be seen. But now that could complicate uh, the jury selection to some extent because how many jurors uh, want to be a part of a situation uh, in terms of uh, impact on their lives? if they're going to have to be locked up for a month or however the length of the first trial is, which starts on November 3rd, uh, 30th. On the, the defendant, I think, is a Porter. And so the, that now has, has muddied the water to some extent uh, as to whether or not the motion for a removal or change of venue will be renewed because of the, of the sequestration request, but the judge seems to be but I think right now, my personal opinion, is he's doing, he's pushing all the right public buttons. He's saying all the right things. And, but there has been some hint. See, we've had some demonstrations. When I said, said things have been uh, chilled out, that's not necessarily true. Because when the judge ruled on these motions, you had a very large protest uh, contingency at the courthouse. And he reacted very quickly against the protesters. Uh, to arrest several of the protesters, and so there was an argument that he was already moving uh, to cut off the First Amendment rights of the protesters, and so there has been some uh, confrontation between him and uh, the protesters already, but he knew he was up for uh, confirmation and recommendation for a full-time or permanent police commissioner, so he was very, very uh, you might say, temperate in his reaction uh, to the protesters. But uh, in my opinion, you could see signs and, and hear certain signs that he will definitely be considered uh, a product and champion of the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police. Uh, 
but you know that remains to be it seen remains to be to seen but i think reaction, that the right. fraternal order of police because of the power of the election next year and i'm talking about the presidential election i think we see signs of them already flexing their muscles because today the fbi director suggests, and i don't know whether you saw this or not dwight that the reason why we see a rise in crime is because we have allowed cameras people to use their cameras on their phones to and when i say a rise in crime crimes against police officers to take photographs of police officers and the violence and they are making a move to say that if a if the police are involved in an incident that you as a private citizen who's taxpayer dollars pays their salary at several levels you're not allowed to take a picture of them doing anything and they've got the FBI head agreeing with them i see something happening not only with Freddie Gray but with Ferguson cropping back up because the news media hasn't reported it but there are demonstrations in Missouri too well i think you're correct i think i you know i've always argued that not only the police departments have moved to a very in a very very conservative way uh, but the courts have moved in a very conservative way and the uh, administrators of, of justice uh, throughout this nation have moved in a very conservative way if you look at the development of of the case law and the young the for take for example the case uh, I think it was Ohio, I have my states mixed up, but the young man, the kid that was shot holding the toy gun. and uh, Ohio, that out, was in Ohio. He was from Ohio, Ohio yeah. yeah. And they came out and said the experts, based on the law, as they read it and understand understood it, uh, that you can't second-guess the police officers, and therefore uh, the police officers had probable cause to react as they did. Uh, when they allegedly shot the, sounds the like young the man Nazis. with a toy gun. Sounds like the Nazi party, yeah. doesn't it? Sounds like it sounds like Hitler. And all let me just say one again. thing to you too, but that's why this election is going to be so important. I was listening to you last night. Uh, you were talking about another subject, but that's why this election is going to be so important because four members of the U.S. Supreme Court are over the age of seventy-five, and the next president of the United States yes. is going to get two to three and possibly four appointments. And the court is already five, four to the right. And if the uh, conservatives get a hold of that court uh, for the next presidential election, that court will totally go down the drain uh, in terms of his conservative bent. And police rulings and all of these rulings, affirmative action, police brutality, will all move to the right. And we'll be in, our, we, our children, and our grandchildren will be in deep, deep, deep trouble. Well, Donald Trump has already said, he said if he becomes the president, he will appoint the people and we will have the kind of court that we want. Now, here's a man that is saying that I'll send all the, I'll send all of them away. And you know, that means Haitians and everything else. Mm -hmm. That means Islanders. People don't think that. They think it's just those mm -hmm. Mexicans, but they'll be aware once it happens. And he said, I'll well, you know what the cold word was, we'll get our country we'll back. We'll get our country back. We'll, well, we'll but, take it back. And then, then he said, um, we'll send them all out, and then we'll bring back the good ones. Well, who's going to determine who the good ones were? And if you are mm -hmm. going to be judging who the good ones are, who's going to judge you as a good person who can judge the good ones? 
I mean, come on. Mm-hmm. This 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 is but the thing that is so scary is that uh, and Donald Trump blamed uh the president for polarizing the country. I, I think he must have forgot about Bush and Cheney and all of them. But anyway, exactly. he blamed them. So this thing is very serious. That's why when I hear uh colored people saying that they are not going to vote and I think about everything that has happened with black folks to get us to vote and the death and everything. And if we knew what was at stake, I mean, that's what makes Freddie Gray important to us all. That's what makes Ferguson important to us all. That's what makes New York, California, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, the state of Washington. Am I missing any state? California, period. New York. New York has had police brutality cases that you can't even believe. They just showed... um, on the news monitor just a minute ago, a police officer in a school district in California who tackled a, a, a teenager in the classroom and beat her down. I mean, beat her down. And the children just sat there. I was thinking to myself, they could have jumped him and stopped him from beating her, but one of them could have been killed for doing that. So we're all in a state of fear. And if we do not get involved, if we do not connect with Freddie Gray in Baltimore. If we think, well, that's happening there, that's not happening here, we're wrong for that, aren't we? And let me just back up a second, if I may, because we went to break the last time I was trying to make this point. In the presidential debates on the Democratic side, Martin O'Malley, who was the mayor of Baltimore before he became governor, took credit for reducing the crime rate on the basis of the zero tolerance policy that he had. Well, now, zero tolerance in Baltimore City, which he put into effect in the early 2000s, and he's now defending as a candidate for president, locked up everybody without probable cause. Just locked black folk up for sitting on the steps, walking down the street, sitting on the sidewalk. Hundreds of thousands of people were locked up, and that's part of the problem in Baltimore City now because those people developed criminal records of being arrested and couldn't get jobs, were taken out of their homes, couldn't make bail, lost jobs, lost families, and what have you. And here now he's standing as a presidential candidate trying to move to the right and said it was a good thing because I saved thousands of lives. Said that on national TV in a debate. Just think of that. And that's part of what's created the problem in Baltimore City in terms of the economic situation, the economic divide, the jobs and what have you. And I know I'm getting into a lot of subjects, but that was one of the things that I believe led to Bats. Bats is uh, political demise and be, being fired. He went back and said Baltimore is just like it was in the 1960s and 70s when the Colonel Report said there are two Americas, one have and one have not. And he was public with that, that Baltimore City is the prime example of, a, of, the, of the urban area in Baltimore City of the, comprised of the have-nots. And that was almost an admission by the police commissioner at that time of what uh, was exacerbating the problem that led to the riots. And he said that before the riots took place. So we got a, a mayor who locked everybody up as part of the solution to the problem and now is defending it. And so you look at the national scene that... that I know I'm 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 getting no, a little no, bit excited. No, no, uh, no, no, no. Uh, but you go but, uh, ahead, and I'll tell you why, folks. Because my show is played um, on Saturdays in Baltimore a couple of times during the day, so people mm-hmm. get to hear. And they were playing a show where we talked about the candidates, 
and Dwight was having a conversation with me. I just wasn't there. So now he's having it with me as we are talking <laughs> now because it all relates. This is the thing we have to get our people to understand. It all ties in. It all ties in. It all relates. It's all connected. And I said facetiously it sounds like Hitler. But if you look at what the proposals are coming out of the Republican Party, and if you look at the proposals coming out with the candidates that are running, and O'Malley is one of them, you will see things that are similar to what Hitler began to do. Certainly. Exactly. I mean, I don't understand why people aren't talking about this, but that is because they've tried to pull the wool over our eyes, and that's it. That's it. And see, folks don't realize in a young nation, this nation hasn't existed that long. You could have a political shift so quickly uh, that it can take us back. And that's what I argue in my book, Under Color of Law. You can have a political shift that can take us back before we can blink an eye. And all the gains that we we made in the in the 60s and the 70s. Well, look at this. They've already they've already destroyed the Voting Rights Act. They've already uh, the Supreme Court has already knocked it out. They've already basically destroyed affirmative action. They're getting ready to complete that destruction uh, in this term. Uh, we already talked about the, the the Supreme Court cases allowing and supporting police brutality and what has set this nation up in the in the situation that is. We already know about the the eavesdropping and the electronic surveillance and so forth that this nation has has been undertaken. So you're right, Bev. Uh, we're in a very very dangerous situation, and if we are not uh, vigilant and careful with this nation, we can allow it to repeat the the same things that we looked at uh, not only during slavery but after slavery with uh, Reconstruction and what have you, when uh, people were allowed to just almost at will. Well, you know, that's part of uh, when we look at uh, the young man being shot in Florida uh, in terms of uh, stand your ground and all of that. What do you think those laws, I know you know, I'm I'm speaking rhetorically, where do people think that those laws came from? That not only a police given uh, discretion to shoot down uh, black folk and black men and women, but now the laws are being developed for our re- regular citizens. Absolutely. Look at Texas. Look at stuff. Texas. Look at Texas. Look at Florida. I mean, in Florida, yeah. you, you didn't even, you could carry, your weapon did not have to be concealed. You could carry your weapon openly in parts of exactly. Florida. Openly. And who, who are they going to shoot? abonically as we go into the break just think about it who they gonna shoot who they gonna shoot willis who they gonna shoot we'll be back in the time you spent listening to this radio spot you could have completed and submitted an entire expense report with a simple picture of your receipt That's all it takes for you to get back to work and for your business to run more efficiently. To learn more and discover all the ways Concur helps manage your company's expenses, just go to tryconcur.com for a free test drive. The best way to live with diabetes is to not live with it alone. That's why Walgreens pharmacists are here for you 24-7 with expert advice and savings on medications and supplies. Just bring in your prescriptions. We can even show you how to get rewarded for healthy behaviors, like logging your glucose. Because Walgreens knows that taking control of diabetes takes an extra hand. Walgreens, at the corner of happy and healthy. But I think right now, my personal opinion is he's doing, he's pushing all the right public buttons. He's saying all the right things. 
and but there has been some hint. See, we've had some demonstrations. When I said said things have been uh, chilled out, that's not necessarily true because when the judge ruled on these motions, you had a very large protest uh, contingency at the courthouse, and he reacted very quickly against the protesters. Uh, to arrest several of the protesters, and so there was an argument that he was already moving uh, to cut off the First Amendment rights of the protesters, and so there has been some uh, confrontation between him and uh, the protesters already, but he knew he was up for uh, confirmation and recommendation for uh, full-time or or permanent police commissioner, so he was very, very uh, you might say, tempered in his reaction uh, to the protesters. But uh, in my opinion, you could see signs and, and hear certain signs that he would definitely be considered uh, a product and champion of the FOP, the Fraternal Order of Police. Uh, but, you know, that remains to be it seen. It remains to be to seen. But I think reaction, that the right. Fraternal Order of Police, because of the power of the election next year, and I'm talking about the presidential election, I think we see signs of them already flexing their muscles because today the FBI director suggests, and I don't know whether you saw this or not, Dwight, that the reason why we see a rise in crime is because we have allowed cameras, people to use their cameras on their phones to, and when I say a rise in crime, crimes against police officers, to take photographs of police officers and the violence, and they are making a move to say that if a if the police are involved in an incident, that you as a private citizen whose taxpayer dollars pays their salary at several levels, you're not allowed to take a picture of them doing anything. And they've got the FBI head agreeing with them. I see something happening not only with Freddie Gray, but with Ferguson cropping back up because the news media hasn't reported it, but there are demonstrations in Missouri, too. Well, I think you're correct. I think, you know, I've always argued that not only the police departments have moved to a very, in a very, very conservative way, uh, but the courts have moved in a very conservative way. And the uh, administrators of, of justice uh, throughout this nation have moved in a very conservative way. If you look at the development of of the case law and the young, the, for take for example, the case, uh, I think it was Ohio. I have my states mixed up, but the young man, the kid that was shot holding the toy gun, and uh, Ohio, that out, was in Ohio. He was from Ohio. Ohio yes. Yeah, and they came out and said the experts, based on the law, as they read it and understand understood it. Uh, that you can't second-guess the police officers, and therefore uh, the police officers had probable cause to react as they did uh, when they allegedly shot the, sounds the like young the man Nazis. with a toy gun. Sounds like the Nazi party, yeah. doesn't it? Sounds like, it sounds like Hitler and all Let me just say one again. thing to you, too, Beth. That's why this election is going to be so important. I was listening to you last night. Uh, you were talking about another subject, but that's why this election is going to be so important because four members of the U.S. Supreme Court are over the age of 75, and the next president of the United States yeah. is going to get two to three and possibly four appointments. And the court is already five, four to the right, and if the uh, conservatives get a hold of that court, uh, 
for the next presidential election, that court will totally go down the drain uh, in terms of his conservative bent. And police rulings and all of these rulings, affirmative action, police brutality, will all move to the right. And we'll be in, our, we, our children, and our grandchildren will be in deep, deep, deep trouble. Well, Donald Trump has already said, he said if he becomes the president, he will appoint the people and we will have the kind of court that we want. Now here's a man that is saying that I'll send all the I'll send all of them away. And you know that means Haitians and everything else. Mm-hmm. That means islanders. People don't think that. They think it's just those mm-hmm. Mexicans. But they'll be aware once it happens. And he said I'll Well you send, know what the code word was, we'll get our country we'll back. We'll get our country back. We, well, we'll but, take it back. And then then he said, um, we'll send them all out and then we'll bring back the good ones. Well, who's going to determine who the good ones were? And if you are mm-hmm. going to be judging who the good ones are, who's going to judge you as a good person who can judge the good ones? I mean, come mm-hmm. on. This, this, this is, but the thing that is so scary is that, uh, and Donald Trump blamed uh, the president for polarizing the country. I, I think he must have forgot about Bush and Cheney and all of them. But anyway, exactly. he blamed them. So this thing is very serious. That's why when I hear uh, colored people saying that they are not going to vote, and I think about everything that has happened with black folks to get us to vote, and the death and everything, and if we knew what was at stake, I mean, that's what makes Freddie Gray important to us all. That's what makes Ferguson important to us all. That's what makes New York, California, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, uh, the state of Washington. Am I missing any state? California, period. New York. New York has had police brutality cases that you can't even believe. They just showed um, on the news monitor just a minute ago a police officer in a school district in California who tackled a, a, a teenager in the classroom and beat her down. I mean, beat her down. And the children just sat there. I was thinking to myself, they could have jumped him and stopped him from beating her, but one of them could have been killed for doing that. So we're all in a state of fear. And if we do not get involved, if we do not connect with Freddie Gray in Baltimore, if we think, well, that's happening there, that's not happening here, we're wrong for that, aren't we? And let me just back up a second, if I may, because we went to break the last time I was trying to make this point. In the presidential debates on the Democratic side, Martin O'Malley, who was the mayor of Baltimore before he became governor, took credit for reducing the crime rate on the basis of the zero tolerance policy that he had. Well, now, zero tolerance in Baltimore City, which he put into effect in the early 2000s, and he's now defending as a candidate for president, locked up everybody without probable cause. Just locked black folk up for sitting on the steps, walking down the street, sitting on the sidewalk. Hundreds of thousands of people were locked up, and that's part of the problem in Baltimore City now because those people developed criminal records of being arrested and couldn't get jobs, were taken out of their homes, couldn't make bail, lost jobs, lost families, and what have you. And here now he's standing as a presidential candidate trying to move to the right and said it was a good thing because I saved thousands of lives. Said that on national TV in a debate. Think of that. 
And that's part of what's created the problem in Baltimore City in terms of the economic situation, the economic divide, the jobs and whatever. And I know I'm getting into a lot of subjects, but that was one of the things that I believe led to Bats, Bats's uh, political demise and be, being fired. He went back and said Baltimore is just like it was in the 1960s and 70s when the Colonel Report said there are two Americas, one have and one have not. And he was public with that, that Baltimore City is the prime example of, a, of, the, of the urban area in Baltimore City of, comprised of the have-nots. And that was almost an admission by the police commissioner at that time of what uh, was exacerbating the problem that led to the riots. And he said that before the riots took place. So we got a, a mayor who locked everybody up as part of the solution to the problem and now is defending it. And so you look at the national scene that... that I know I'm 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 getting no, a little no, bit excited. No, 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 no. Uh, but you go uh, ahead, and I'll tell you why, folks. Because my show is played um, on Saturdays in Baltimore a couple of times during the day, so people mm-hmm. get to hear. And they were playing a show where we talked about the candidates, and Dwight was having a conversation with me. I just wasn't there, so now he's having it with me as we are talking <laughs> now because it all relates. This is the thing we have to get our people to understand. It all ties in. It all ties in. It all relates. It's all connected. And I said facetiously it sounds like Hitler, but if you look at what the proposals are coming out of the Republican Party and if you look at the proposals coming out with the candidates that are running, and O'Malley is one of them, you will see things that are similar to what Hitler began to do. Certainly. Exactly. I mean, I don't understand why people aren't talking about this, but that is because they've tried to pull the wool over our eyes, and that's it. That's it. And if folks don't realize in a young nation, this nation hasn't existed that long. You can have a political shift so quickly uh, that it can take us back, and that's what I argue in my book, Under Color of Law. You can have a political shift that can take us back before we can blink an eye. And all the gains that we we made in the in the 60s and the 70s. Well, look at this. They've already they've already destroyed the Voting Rights Act. They've already uh, the Supreme Court has already knocked that out. They've already basically destroyed affirmative action. They're getting ready to complete that destruction uh, in this term. Uh, we already talked about the, the, the Supreme Court cases allowing and supporting police brutality and what has set this nation up in the, in the situation that is. We already know about the, the eavesdropping and the electronic surveillance and so forth that this nation has, has been undertaken. So you're right, Bev. Uh, we're in a very, very dangerous situation, and if we are not uh, vigilant and careful with this nation, we can allow it to repeat the, the same things that we looked at uh, not only during slavery, but after state slavery with uh, Reconstruction and what have you, when uh, people were allowed to just almost at will. Well, that's, you know, that's part of uh, when we look at uh, the young man being flo- shot in Florida uh, in terms of uh, span your ground and all of that. Where do you think those laws, I know you know, I'm, I'm speaking rhetorically, where do people think that those laws came from? That not only a police given uh, discretion to shoot down uh, black folk and black men and women, but now the laws are being developed for our re- regular citizens. Absolutely. Look at Texas. Of Look at Texas. Look at Texas. Look at Florida. I mean, in Florida, yeah. you, you didn't even, you could carry, your weapon did not have to be concealed. You could carry your weapon openly in parts of exactly. Florida. Openly. And who who are they going to shoot? 
uh, abonically as we go into the break. Just think about it. Who they going to yeah. shoot? Who they going to shoot, Willis? Who they going to shoot? We'll be back. From your mind, change your thinking. This is the Beth Smith Show. We're talking to attorney Dwight Pettit, and we're talking about everything, everything that he talks about in his book, Under Color of Law, and he outlaws it, this advocate, and he has been victorious in his advocacy under the law, and that's one of the things that you said that I really wanted to kind of agree with you on, and that is um, the fact that they are getting away with it under the law. Dwight, that is such a powerful statement. Because if they don't if they can't win under the law, they simply create another law. They just, you know, this isn't a country, it's not a democracy, it's a big corporation run by money folks. And if they don't like what it is, they just change it. If they don't like the FDA inspecting food, they just buy the politicians and buy the votes and lobby and take the folks out and put the kids in college and buy them a car and a poor politician leaves office as a rich one and the beat goes on and on and on and on. It is not only affecting black people, but it's affecting white folks. Dwight, in Maryland, do you have white folks who are saying, this is wrong, we've had enough, we need people who are committed to do the right thing. Where are they? Question, uh, because this has always been considered uh, by many, uh, even though we, as you alluded to, we know the history of Maryland, the history of Baltimore, the so-called free state where they really fought with the Confederacy and all the history with uh, Lincoln and Booth and so forth. Uh, but you do, you know, it's been argued that in spite of all that, that it's supposed to be a liberal or progressive state because uh, we have had, referring to whites, we have had the development of some uh, progressive white folk uh, in terms of political representation uh, in, in the Senate uh, and the governor's mansion and what have you. Uh, so Mikulski, Senator Mikulski now, uh, Senator Sarbanes, who was considered a liberal, and, um, and others. So they, you know, they, it's a it's a strange state because we, uh, in some ways, uh, we are an example of a progressive movement. But at the same time, the state, uh, when you go county by county, is a very conservative conservative state. And what you just said, Bev, you before you went to the break, you were talking about the vote. Uh, and it's how imperative it is of the vote. But then you also, as you indicated, how they changed the laws. Well, they saw the the structure, uh, saw the money structure, saw 
of what happened with the vote when we exercised it. What happened across this nation? We elected black congresspeople. We elected black mayors. We elected the first African-American president. And so what did they do? They told the Supreme Court to dismantle the Voting Rights Act. And every state, uh, not only when the Supreme Court said, okay, we're going to change the law, this has allowed the African-American uh, to participate in the voting process to the extent that they have benefited, benefited a great deal politically and begin now to occupy a political position. Where we they don't need demand. it anymore. We don't need we don't, it. We don't need it. We change don't, it. We don't and need allow it all the states to go forward and change theirs. And not only that, but this is the important thing, and this, this is what I fault the media. And all my life, that's what I wanted to be involved in, the media. And the way I was trained and the way I see now, totally different, okay? For example, you have Jeb Bush. You have uh, the opportunity as a journalist and particularly an African in America, in America, you have the opportunity to inform, to educate and empower. How are you going to do that, Beth? Well, first of all, you have Jeb Bush. You have Jeb Bush. I mean, Hillary Clinton was asked a question. I'm sure you saw this. Do you think that you and your husband are creating a dynasty and that's making people uncomfortable? Well, can you say George Bush the first, George Bush the second, a son that was a, a governor in Florida? Come on. Is that not a dynasty? But you don't have anyone asking those questions. You don't have a media saying, look, this is what is going on. Jeb Bush, when he was governor in Florida, messed with the black vote. The night of the election, I'll never forget this. I talked to people in Florida that I knew when I lived in the Miami area and was on television radio there. And there was a minister down in Liberty City that has, that church has been the polling center I want to say 40 years or more. No one picked his votes up that night. 40 years or more, Dwight. No one, but you know, with the hanging chair, the hung chair, the over the loop oh, chair. Yeah. And what did they do? They, they gave the same people that created that fiasco another contract. That's all under Bush now. Republican Party under Bush Jeb on the Republican ticket. What did he do? He hired a company, a public relations company, to look at the votes. It was a conservative Republican to look at the voters and to see who was eligible, who wasn't, who was real, who was just a name on a list. And they couldn't find that many discrepancies because the folks in Florida had, white and black, had really worked hard to make sure that everything was legitimate. And do you know... I know you know this story, Dwight. You know, they took the list anyway and disqualified the folks that their public relations firm said was good. And they did that. Mm -hmm. I mean, so how do you get, and I'm frustrated because I can still hear the shots and a young man standing outside of the pizza hut waiting on his pizza and got shot. I can still hear it. That happened over the weekend right down the street. Right down the street. <clears throat> so I, I'm telling you now, we have to do something. 
and I, I'm not sure I know anymore what we should do. Tell me, Dwight. That's a question that I've been wrestling with for the 40 years and before, the 40 years, 44 years I've been in practice, and uh, the years before that hasn't come out of a, of a civil rights family. And uh, it, it just it gets so, as you indicated, it gets so exhausting, it gets so depressing uh, when you look at the same things that we've wrestled with 30 and 40 years ago staring us right in the face today. You know, we look at certain political evolutions, as I was speaking to earlier, we, and I said again, I keep referring back to my book, as I, I thought when Bill Clinton uh, began to talk about uh, the participation in the economic uh, uh, awards and rewards of America, uh, that, that, that we were going to have a breakthrough in terms of... Uh, sharing a piece of the pie of this nation and then we this electorate responds by what giving us uh george bush and george w bush uh that changed the complete economic flow of this nation uh, and reversed everything back uh, economically and unnecessary wars and and um, we went, went right back and then uh, obama president obama comes out and and grasp an economy that was faltering and did everything to restabilize it. And, uh, you know, now we look at the conservative. Why do you, I know, you know, I would look at the way the, the conservative Republicans are salivating at the mouth and lined up uh, for the opportunity to challenge and, and uh, uh, become president of this nation because they sense uh, they sense the political vulnerability they sense the the weakness they think, sense that the time is now to to capture they've already captured the senate they've already captured the house they've already captured the court and if they can capture the white house uh, as they say in cards they'll have a full run a full deck and I'm, I'm, I, you know I, all i can say is it's we think it's scary now. It can really get terrifying in this nation. So you have every right to to, to be frustrated. And these questions can't be answered in the direction that we're moving now. Uh, something has to happen in this nation uh, to awaken poor people and African American people and change the direction of this nation. What it is, I don't know. One of the things I have been thinking about is internalizing. You know because you're a lawyer and you have to be particular and you have to study and you have to know the law. And when you're in a courtroom, you have to be able to recall case, case law so that you can utilize that portion of the law to make your case clearer. You have to know what it is you're getting into. I think what I think needs to happen is that we people of African descent need to hold, and I keep saying this, and maybe I might have to just do it with some help, a forgiveness ceremony. And at that ceremony, we need to come together. It can be held in every city, all at the same time, a hookup, all at the same time. And we hold this ceremony and we talk about forgiving each other because I'm afraid that if we don't come together 
You and I will be talking about Freddie Gray and Harry Gray and Susan Gray and Charlie Gray and Mabel Gray and Ashante Gray and any name you can think of. But we won't be strong. We'll be back. Thank you.